Live from the entertainment capital of the world, Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Pleased to be with you here on this. Well, uh, if you're here in town, if you're here in Las Vegas, you're experiencing a little bit of rain, intermittent rain. Uh, and also, I, I was just outside a minute ago, just absolutely perfect temperatures. I, I don't know what it is, but it's uh, maybe low 90s is what it feels like here in downtown. So I, I love this. Absolutely fabulous. Now, I, I want to get to this story here. Permit me, friends, if I if I may. We don't know everything yet. I want to caption that um, very important thing. But there was a, a violent takedown yesterday morning of a gentleman in Utah in Provo, and I, 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 this this story is there's a lot about it that really concerns me. So I want to tell you what this is and 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 give it to you straight because I I see a lot of this misrepresented on both sides of the spectrum of 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 you know depending of course on the view and it's one it's very sickening to me to see liberals, leftists, people who once upon a time were mindful of civil liberties, who in recent memory advocated for reduced policing because of police brutality and the like, literally rejoicing that a man who was a Trump supporter was shot and killed in a Don raid on his house by the FBI. Now, Craig Robertson is the gentleman's name. He's being described by neighbors as a weird old guy. He was about 300 pounds. He moved, uh, I guess people that knew him said he moved kind of slowly. He was a shuffled, had a cane. He was active in the LDS Church, also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Mormons, not particularly shocking given that he lived in Provo. He was a ward clerk. Those of you who are familiar with the church understand what that means. It was, you know, he had a, a position inside his ward, was an active member. By the way, that, that, that point of it uh, is important and matters because these agents really could have arrested this guy anywhere. They had a warrant out for his arrest because of threats that he made against President Biden. And some of these threats, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, are explicit and are direct enough to warrant, uh, to warrant investigation. So I'm not denying that. My concern here is how this takedown of this gentleman, how it occurred, happened at 6 a.m., there was a giant SWAT team. They went to his home. Many years ago, I had a case of a, an elderly gentleman, and it just, it, it's, it's in my mind because I'm, I'm thinking this. This was out in L.A. County. And uh, th- this, it, it, was, it was in a rural part of L.A. County where the sheriff's deputies really, some of them at least, acted in a well, a little bit of a reckless way. 
and they went out to execute a search warrant on uh, on this this older gentleman who was who was armed. Of course, he was in his own house. He was a retired aerospace guy, intelligent guy, kind of a weird recluse, living in you know the the Southern California desert area in L.A. County, and he he uh, I guess there was some drug activity next door. Some people said it was on his property. He had for sure nothing to do with it. Nonetheless, uh, the officers obtained a a search warrant. The basis for the search warrant was a little suspect, and they barged into his house, and he was was wide awake. Uh, He wasn't wide awake. He was was dead asleep, and and it was awakened with, you know, cops in combat gear, and he reached for his handgun that was in his nightstand. And reaching for his gun, he was shot and killed by an officer, and this case was long and protracted and, and, and eventually resulted in a settlement uh, for his family because it was, a, a, in my view, a, an unjustified killing. Yes, they had a search warrant. I think the basis for getting the warrant was flawed. But I'm, I'm bringing this up because I don't quite understand yet how this all went down. Some neighbors report having seen his body laying there in the, in the street uh, obviously would not have been a good idea for this gentleman once these police officers, these FBI agents, announced themselves to uh, come out with a gun. I think if that turns out to be the case, and this was a an ill-fated effort. But on the other hand, I'm listening. I'm I'm listening to the reporting, and I'm I'm reading these the, the facts of this case, and I, I'm just thinking all the opportunities that these FBI agents had to take this guy into custody in a way that reduced friction. Those of you out there with law enforcement experience, particularly federal law enforcement experience, will say this is, uh, you know, the the standard operating procedure here is to find the easiest way to take a a suspect into custody. He's a church-going guy. You know he's going to be at his ward at a Mormon church every, you know, Every week on Sunday, whatever his, his meeting time. And by the way, if he's ward clerk, he's, he's there most of the day. Dealing with records and things like that, assisting the bishopric, etc. I mean, this is a this is a guy who's who's going to be, you know, findable. He's not somebody who's holed up in his house weeks on end, months on end, or on a compound somewhere. He's living in Provo for Pete's sake. So this bothers me fundamentally. It seems at first blush that our FBI today decided to suit up, load up, get all their firepower and go after a guy who, you know, could have been taken another way but decided to go in full force because this is what these guys like to do. You know, I went to school with a this always comes to my mind. I, I went to a school with a, uh, you know, not a friend, an acquaintance, who was, uh, who's a lawyer, who is, um, his dad is a lawyer, and he's a smug guy, okay, and he ends up working for the uh, for the FBI, but he's a he's a lawyer, right? So he's 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 higher up. He's one of these management types. He delights, you know. We had a conversation some time ago. This is going back a decade, and he, he you know, he. This is this is a lawyer, right? This is a guy who who 
I mean, he's not the guy who's doing these raids, although he's participated in some of them, but he loves it. He loves wearing the badge. He, he loves when the FBI comes in and knocks doors down and executes search warrants in the most, in the most aggressive way possible. He gets his jollies off of it. I don't know how else to put it. And, and I know this is just one person, but the more you see uh, you, the more you see these days of the FBI and what they do, they are, uh, well, for all intents and purposes, I mean, listen, they, they, they do like to uh, go in as strong as they can. The, the other question, of course, I have, okay, so he's, this guy had some, Craig Robertson was his name. He had some posts. You know, next time Biden comes into town, you know, he's a dead man, that type of thing. All right. How many of these types of posts did you see when Trump was president? Because there was hardly a moment that I didn't uh, spend online. I didn't, you know, Twitter or or Facebook or whatnot from 2016 to, uh, to 2021 that I didn't see that type of vitriol directed at Trump. How many of the leftist haters who, you know, whether they had guns or not, were, were active in repeatedly exercising their First Amendment rights to spew violent speech out there? And, and, and of course, these threats are actionable. I understand that. Uh, how many of these leftists targeting Trump had an FBI SWAT team come down and take them out. My 10 cents on this is at this point, with not all the information in, I understand that's a big caveat. I think when the dust settles, we're going to see that this is all part of the FBI's intense burning desire to build up its numbers on domestic terrorism. They they treated this guy as a domestic terror suspect. They view, and you know this, they view domestic terrorism, right-wing extremism, as an existential threat to this country. They want to build up the numbers. They want to build up the threat. They want a story. And that's why they went in full force. I, I can't prove it at this point, and I think time will tell, and we'll see how this develops. But that's the story here. So, I, you know, the people that knew him, there's a neighbor, Connor Bunch, walking and said he guy, guy was walking around wearing a Trump hat in church, said he was generally well-liked, got along with people, said that Craig Robertson orchestrated a volunteer group to build a ramp for older uh, older woman in the neighborhood who was having trouble with her trailer, describes him. He seemed like a kind of a weird old guy. But then this neighbor, Connor Bunch, said, yeah, everyone knows a weird old guy. You wouldn't imagine that the FBI would come in and shoot him. Well, what I have to say to Mr. Bunch, the neighbor of this uh, man shot by the FBI, is I, I, think, well, I think I can't imagine that happening, unfortunately, in this country today. I can, and, and, and I have, and I see this type of stuff happening. And I am, I am appalled that the left, the former defenders of civil liberties and purported advocates for 
uh, you know, for for regulated policing, delight in the extrajudicial murder of an American citizen uh, just because the guy wears a Trump hat. And that's really what this is all about. That part of it absolutely sickens me. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Okay, here's an example. Here's an example of what I was saying just last segment. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. The What's Right show is on. Um, we're covering the story that happened yesterday, developed yesterday morning. Uh, Craig Robertson, a resident of Provo, Utah, which is not that far from, from us here. Uh, my wife went to BYU. She graduated from BYU without getting married. I think it's called, what do they call that? The MRS degree? I'm going to get uh, some slack here for my Mormon friends. This is a running joke that uh, Mormon ladies go up to uh, BYU and they, get, they go there to get their MRS degree. Well, nonetheless, Sherry escaped that and um, ended up making her way down to California when we met uh, and uh, were married there. So... That's part of my story, but I am very familiar with Provo. I know it well. Nice little place, college town, uh, and now lately a lot of growth because of the various tech companies moving into that general area. A lot of California tech companies moving in anyway. So this guy, uh, Craig Robertson, older gentleman, ward clerk in his local LDS ward, he is... Uh, at home, it's early morning, it's 6 a.m., and, uh, and, and, and in comes the knock on the door. The FBI will hold a raid, and next thing you know, the, the guy ends up dead. That's all we really know, okay? I saw the video, by the way, of a neighbor who uh, filmed the, the actual raid on his house, and it's terrifying. Make no mistake about it. If it happened to you, you would be scared out of your mind. So the left that normally immediately throws up their arms. Oh my goodness, a police officer has shot a person. Well, let's be honest. They're more concerned if the police officer is white and the quote-unquote victim is a minority. Not mattering, of course, that the victim is a gangbanger douchebag that, you know, uh, has a rap sheet as long as, you know, the gun he's holding. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Any of that, none of that matters. It's just about the optics and the and, and whatnot. And they make a big deal of it. So here, here, obviously, the left, and I mentioned this just before the break, is celebrating the fact that another MAGA person is dead because this guy was a supporter of Donald Trump. Now, I mentioned to you just before the, the, the break here that there are a number of, uh, there. remember all these threats coming in. I mean, remember Kathy Griffin? You know, she... Literally, I know she's a comedian and whatnot, but you know, she puts up a, a severed head of Donald Trump, said so this needs to happen to Trump. And she had a couple of nice Secret Service agents drop by her house, and now, Miss Griffin, this is not a good idea. You can't be doing this. 
and then she took to social media. Can you believe it? The stormtroopers showed up and dared threaten me and my First Amendment rights. Do you remember that debacle? Well, let me tell you something. There's a guy named Thomas Welnicki, New York City guy, 72 years old, comparably aged to the 75-year-old man killed by the FBI yesterday. He repeatedly made threats against Trump in several phone calls to the Secret Service, direct threats. This is not stuff that he put up on Facebook. These are direct threats. He called the Secret Service and said, I'm going to kill the president. I'm going to do, it's a direct quote, I'm going to do anything I can to take out Trump. That was a voicemail left to the Secret Service. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's a threat. Come and arrest me. <laughs> okay, so, okay. So, kept doing that over and over again. What happened to him? Did he have an FBI SWAT team show up at his door 6 a.m. in the morning? You know, no-knock raid, go in and up, up, up and start shooting? Well, you would think so if everything was created equal, but, however, did not happen. Well, Nikki was able to appear by video to face the charges in federal court in Brooklyn. <laughs> That's right. He did a Zoom appearance to his court hearing, and he was released on a $50,000 bond and was subject to GPS monitoring. And you want to know the simple truth of it, right? The folks at the FBI, people on the seventh floor making the decisions there over at the DOJ and the FBI, these are all highly politicized, America-hating, left-wing Democrats. There is a different standard of justice for Republicans than there are for people who share the same party affiliations as the people running federal law enforcement today. But it's, it's really not exactly that. The bigger issue here is, is that the FBI is hell-bent, the Department of Justice is hell-bent on, yeah, well, on, on yeah, not spiking, yeah, but they're hell-bent on pursuing every single lead and turning every single case that they possibly can that is, uh, you know, any kind of criminal activity into domestic terror and right-wing extremism. And that is where – that's the message that they want to push because that message they have figured out, one, it scares independent voters and it scares Democrats and motivates them to vote for the Democratic Party. But the other part of it is, of course, is this is how they get their funding. International Islamic terrorism, for example, is on the decline. So that's, you know, that's lost its sex appeal when it comes to getting money from Congress every year. So how else are they going to do it? Well, they're going to go and, and, and they're going to gin up domestic terrorism cases. Now, we've covered this here extensively. Even routine, mundane criminal matters, if there's any way to colorably put it into that category, it's domestic terror, the FBI encourages agents to do it. And many agents have come forward and spoken out about this despicable practice uh, even citing their own refusal to do this. So, folks, listen, I'm going to cover this case and, and, and let you know what, what developments there are. Certainly, uh, you know, if the FBI comes to your house, put your hands up in the air, comply with every order. Don't be foolish. 
I mean, they're out to shoot to kill, no doubt about it. We come back, let me talk to you about the Hawaii fires. I'll tell you why this is happening. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Sam Rajovsky here. So I, uh, obviously the story about Maui is is horrifying. We have many, many people uh, who live uh, here in Las Vegas who are from Hawaii originally. Uh, and, you know, no doubt many of you, even if you're not from Hawaii, have vacationed in Maui. A fun fact about me, I, I've never been to Maui this entire time. And it's, I've traveled a lot. And I've I've been in Hawaii. I've I've spent a lot of time in um, in Oahu, but also on the Big Island. I've really enjoyed the Big Island over the years. Kona area on the on the west side. I've just never made it over to the uh, to the to the to Maui or to Kauai for that matter. So uh, it's embarrassing because for everyone that I know that have that, that has been to to Maui, they rave about uh, Lahaina. And Lahaina is this beautiful historic town uh, on the coast there, on the north, uh, I think the northwestern part of the island. And it's gone. I, I don't know how else to put this. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's gone. Sorry, more, way on north, north side of the island on the west side. And I'm looking at these photos, and by the way, I've seen some some video too, absolutely horrifying video of people in their cars, you know, barely kind of making it through the blaze, you know, as 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 fire is is surrounding them, and they're passing, you know, by structures that are that are all but completely burned, but still still lit, and there are you know bodies of people in the street. It's you know, I can't even. You can't even explain how how heartbreaking this is, and it all started on Tuesday, and it and it and it, and it lit went down the hill and into town, and people are still figuring out exactly what what occurred. And I I want to say a couple of things about this because uh, I I'm very familiar with with wildfires, uh, having lived in California for many many years lived in Southern California. I remember being evacuated when I was, oh, how old was I? About 12. The Laguna, the big, big Laguna fire that consumed much of Laguna Beach, we lived uh, just on the other side of that. And it was before the uh, 73 freeway was built or maybe it was just barely being constructed. Nonetheless, the fire, you know, easily jumped over that and 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 threatened the part of, of Irvine that we were in. Um, the f- firefighters were able to save our particular neighborhood because of, of um, some backfires that they set. But many, many people lost their homes. I think there was some loss of life too in Laguna, and it really shaped me. And I, I remember, I remember, you know, always growing up with the fear of wildfire because we lived in a, in, in you know, in open canyons and a lot of sagebrush and that kind of thing. That of course, come October, come the end of the summer, uh, is very dry. 
and combustible. Now, one thing that I've learned over the years is that a lot of these fires are preventable. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, first off, uh, I'm, you know, my family's from Europe. And in Europe, most forests, right, which is kind of the, the uh, I, I mean, the, the, the kind of vegetation that is common in, in, in most of the continent, most forests are privately owned. And some of my family, my extended family, owns quite a bit of forestry in the Czech Republic. And there is an entire world of, of knowledge, of care, of, of effort that goes into managing these forests. And these people, they get together, they have staff, they, they and, and, and the way that they manage these forests, the, one of the principal things, the two most important things that every forest owner cares about is managing and protecting the forest from fire, one, and two, uh, you know, making sure there's no disease because certain wood-boring beetles and that kind of thing can be devastating to, uh, to trees and, and result in a whole forest dying out. And this is what you do when you own a forest. Now, what happens when property isn't owned by private individuals, but rather it's owned by the state? And what happens? This is the other big question. What happens when the state that owns that property has a bunch of environmentalist wackadoodles who believe that nature ought to remain untouched? That wildlife regeneration means you, you, know, you kind of keep a hands-off approach and you just, you know, you just kind of, you know, let nature take its course. Well, folks, if you let nature take its course, generally speaking, there will be massive fires. This is a cyclical thing that occurs and is as old as time. Before there was a single factory on this earth, before there was a single carbon emission produced by man, there were forest fires. Forests grew. They, they, you know, the stuff stuff grew up. Then it died. Then it dried. Lightning would come around. Some, you know, triggering event that would light this, and and forest fires raged, and in turn that created ash that then perpetuated the cycle. Right, fertilized the soil, etc., and then you know off you go for a second round. This is how it all worked. Now. I, I bring this up because it's it's not even a month ago that Maui was raving about the fact that they were able to close a deal with a ranch. Now, this is this deal is in process right now, so it's, but it's illustrative of the kind of policy that Hawaii in particular, and I've seen the same thing in California, that the kind of policy that Hawaii has for open lands. So Hawaii, uh, Maui, the county of Maui, uh, and the Bureau of Land Management there for uh, the state bureau that manages land in Hawaii – purchased a 3,700-acre ranch that belonged to an old family. It's been in a trust for, for years and years. Think of sort of like the movie Descendants, right? This was a, a, a trust that was nearing the end of its life, you know, the rule against perpetuities and all that, so they, they, they had to sell it, and the state came in and bought it. And everybody was delighted, you know, but of course the, the Paniolas and the ranchers and everything are going to get kicked off the land because what are they going to do with it? Well, what else would the state do with it? Because they're all environmentalists. They're going to turn it into wildlife preservation. 
So you're going to go from 3,700 acres that were being chomped and chewed in an organized way by cattle or cowboys who cared about the land and cared about the cattle and were, you know, worked on, you know, clearing brush, making the land safe, to having it turn into a wildlife uh, free-for-all zone. If you think I'm joking, I mean, I'm, hey, this, is, this is real, and this is, what, uh, this is what's happening. And th- th- the thing about it that's maddening is I, I've seen this in California – you know, every time there's a wildfire, Gavin Newsom or whoever's in charge of California shows up and says, oh, we've done all these fire breaks, everything, we've done everything, we've done prescribed burns. They don't do any of this. The last big fire, remember the PG&E fire up in Northern California? 84 people died. It was terrible. Newsom gets up there and says, I mean, Oh, he, I don't know how many. It was like a 700% exaggeration on the number of acres that were treated with, with, uh, with fire breaks and prescribed burns. They're not doing any of it. And the reason for this is not budgeting. California has the money to do it. Although Newsom slashed in California slashed about $150 million from Cal Fire's wildfire prevention budget. The reason that the reason that they're doing it is because there's this there's this resistance on the left to interfere with nature. They think that nature ought to be untouched, and it pervades every bit of their thinking. And then when the consequences of their mismanagement yields disaster, what do they do? They sit there and they cry about climate change. They cry, they cry about global warming. They blame it on industrialization. And the greatest irony I can tell you from, from my personal experience coming from and seeing what's, what's, what's happening in Europe and seeing versus how it, how it goes down in California is that land that is privately managed by profit-oriented people, but more importantly, people that own and care about the land, that land is far safer and more resistant and less likely to catch fire than the than the oodles of acres managed by a state bureaucracy that is permeated top to bottom with environmentalist wackadoodles. Now, the other part of this the problem, and I'm just, this might be a little bit, I mean, the other part of this is that the left just can't think hierarchically, right? They can't prioritize things. To them, it's, you know, they want to protect the environment at all costs. They also don't want, you know, wildfires, but they're not able to say, all right, we need to put environmental protection second and place, you know, people's homes, people's, you know, well-being, their lives ahead of that. So then you see the resistance to maybe going in and bulldozing swaths of land to protect it from from fire because, well, there's, they discovered some little ferret or gerbil or whatever that's nearing extinction, and they go, well, we can't lose this ferret, so what we're going to do is sacrifice a whole town. The more you hear about this fire, watch for it. I promise you, you will hear over and over again the news media, the mainstream folks, politicians, Joe Biden, they're all going to be talking to you about climate change. But you're going to have to read between the lines and realize – 
Why, what has happened? Why was Maui so overgrown with, with dry vegetation that was able to allow a fire like this to go right up into a town? There have to be some questions answered here. So I'm, I'm, I'm just I, – I cannot think that this was, this was anything but preventable. And it's sad to me that the same people that created it will then go and blame it on nonsense science. Absolutely maddening. All right, Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Hey, this whole idea of hierarchy of issues is something that conservatives do really well. And what the left doesn't do, and I have an I have an illustration of the Sam Rajovsky News Talk eight forty KXNT. What I mean by hierarchy is that there are certain things that are a priority, and it's what we successful people do, right? I, I start every day going, okay, what's my top priority today? And if somebody comes along and interrupts me with something that's I I know immediately is number five or six on my list, I have the ability to keep working on number one and number two and even number three, and wait until those are completed or at least handled to the extent that I'm comfortable moving on to the next item. Now, when you have a organization, a large organization, like, for example, the federal government, of course, you are able to work on multiple things at once. It's not so much a conversation about priority as it is about what takes precedence. Remember yesterday, you know, we talked about Biden coming down here and, 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 and going to the Grand Canyon and declaring that however many thousands of acres were now off limits to uranium mining. And everybody, you know, on the left goes, oh, this is great. This is environmentalism. That's so great. Oh, we're preserving nature. Meanwhile, where are we going to have to get our uranium from? Well, largest importer of it to us is Russia, followed closely by Places like, uh, you know, some countries in Africa, not necessarily places that are very friendly to American interests, people that one could cut us off from, from a badly needed resource, but also countries that we don't necessarily want to make wealthy uh, through us being dependent on them for this vital resource, right? So in this vein… Secretary of State Antony Blinken, this is our top guy at the State Department. This is Joe Biden's you know, number one guy globally who is in charge of keeping America safe, was asked yesterday, uh, 60 Minutes in Australia reporter Amelia Adams uh, was asked about his job managing risk. And he, you know, because they were talking about, about global warming, uh, the environment. But, you know, she throws in there, well, what about Putin? Your job is all about managing risk. Hmm. Vladimir Putin is threatening nuclear war, and this month we've seen the hottest temperatures on this planet hmm. on record. What is the greater threat to humanity in your mind, war or climate change? Well, you can't have a hierarchy. There are some things that are front and center, the wolf, wolf at the door, including potential conflict, but there's no doubt that climate represents an existential challenge. Uh, to all of us. So we have to multitask. Um, that's all fine and dandy, um, sir. With all due respect, I, I think that the 
initial fireball of a nuclear bomb is about 200 million degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, you know, by the way, if you put that in Celsius, not that terrifying. Only 100 million uh, degrees in uh, Celsius. Uh, so, <laughs> is, what? Sorry, the thing that is going to slowly extinct us over the course of hundreds, if not thousands of years, if not ever, right? Because we can debate this. Are these temperatures man-made or are these all part of natural fluctuations that we've had throughout history pre-industrial revolution? The answer to which is yes. (laughs) Okay. But no, we're going to multitask and we're going to treat as equal problems global warming as we are the threat of nuclear war with a hostile enemy. By the way, a hostile enemy that we have no problem sending more money to because we refuse to make a little hole and dig a, you know, dig a little uranium out, you know, you know, 50 miles away from the Grand Canyon. It's just stunningly stupid stuff. And by the way, this is why left-wing states in particular suffer from these major you know, natural catastrophes that are, are preventable. The fires in California, now the fires in Hawaii, th- these are preventable things. You can clear the damn brush. You, you kind of have an idea of what's going to burn and what's not going to burn. The rocks out behind my house, I hate to break it to you, no matter how hot the planet gets, the rocks behind my house are not going to catch on fire. Well, they might if Putin nukes us, but you get my point. You have an idea what is going to burn. It's a resistance to cleaning that up, tidying it up, cutting it, removing it, that is usually motivated by the fact that people are like, but the gerbil, but the little, the little horny toad that lives there in the rocks, or you know, the the the, the spotted, the spotted ferret. Not the spotted ferret. Oh, no. So now we're not. Okay, it's fine. You know, we just lose 100 homes and 30 lives and wipe a whole town off the face of the earth. It's no big deal. At least we saved the gosh damn ferret. This is liberal left-wing thinking. It's, it's, it's just maddening, folks. Why I would never, by the way, don't, don't ever let a lib run a company. I, you know, <laughs> well, the funny thing is they're able Some of them are able to separate all this out, but many are not. Which is why they end up doing all this crazy self-defeating woke stuff that they don't understand is not selling, is not attracting any customers, is costing them business. They keep doing it because in their mind, profit and social justice is on equal footing. They don't understand what the rest of us in business get is that you can't You can't use your business for good if you don't have a business, right? Again, hierarchy of issues. So I'm, you know, this is, you're going to hear a lot about these fires in the coming days. And it's, and it is, it is absolutely, it is absolutely horrifying. Um. And by the way, you know, that's the same thing with Miami. Let's just say this too in Florida. All this, you know, hurricanes, are, they're putting more people at risk. Yeah, but more people have moved closer to the water. 
more people literally by definition numerically are living in high rises right up against the coast in florida so they're People have put themselves in areas that have always been at risk of flooding and of winds and everything. And they're moving, they're flocking there because it's beautiful. I, I, make no mistake about it. But they're accepting that risk. But no, it's climate change. Yes, yes, yes. All right, is Trump going to debate? Is he going to debate his fellow Republican contenders? Uh, he said some stuff about this. Updates on the campaign. And of course, the House, House Oversight Committee, they are at it. I'll give you the straight scoop next. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, your host of the What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Always happy to be with you here Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. I'm looking out the window. I just, I love when we have clouds. I know some of you are rain-phobic. I get it. I get it. Uh, It's not supposed to rain in Vegas, but, well, first off, we need it. Secondly, it brings down the temperature. Also, I don't mind a touch of humidity, but the clouds were beautiful. Last night for my house, I looked up at the sky, and there was there was a rainbow up over the strip. Yeah, I can't tell you which, uh, which casino had the pot of gold last night, but um, <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully somebody got lucky. Uh, but I was at home taking it easy. And um, and just was was looking at the sky and it just is absolutely stunning. Now I'm looking out toward Fremont Street. I see the clouds. I see Circa Casino, and it's just been gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. I love it here more than I can express. So welcome uh, back to the program. Uh, some little bit of of news here. You know, the big debate right now is which of these Republicans are going to sign the pledge, the Republican Party pledge to participate in the primary debates. The Republican Party is uh, conditioning uh, participation in the primary debates uh, based on uh, well, on signing this particular promise, a contract uh, that would, you know, that has these, you know, excuse me, that has these um, candidates agreeing to certain terms. Now, here's some of the terms, by the way, include a not running as an independent candidate if you were to lose the primary. So you're, you're, you can't, you know, or as a write-in candidate. It's pretty inclusive. Write-in candidate, can't do that. Can't run as a third-party candidate. Uh, you have to pledge support for whoever ends up being the ultimate uh, final party nominee. And some of this, I, I guess, you know, suppose makes sense. You know, the Republican Party is giving these people a platform, and they want to make sure that there are no third-party candidates on the right because, of course, that would destroy whoever runs or potentially would destroy whoever runs as the GOP nominee. So all of this is to say that Donald Trump, a lot of eyes uh, are on him right now. Uh, and initially, by the way, back in – you know, the 2016 election, 2015, uh, when they were first 
you know, rolling out these pledges, the Republicans were. And they really, to be honest, back in the 2016 race, the pledge came out because everyone thought Donald Trump was just running as a spoiler and that he may end up running as a third-party candidate. The pledge came out not for the other candidates. The, the pledge came out for Trump. And then they made, of course, everybody else sign it. This is a very important point I'm making because just a little bit of history. So now along comes the pledge. But of course, the scenery is a little bit different in 2020. Well, 2020, where are we, three, than it was in 2015, right? So we're, we're you know, coming up to election year. Uh, now the same way we were back in 2015 and back in 2015 in august of 2015 so four years uh, ago uh excuse me seven years ago um eight years ago oh my gosh my math is all off so eight years ago right uh, trump refused to sign the pledge but by september he ultimately ended up signing it and uh, and uh, and and did it publicly and whatnot desantis signed the pledge recently and Trump sat down with uh, Eric Balling on Newsmax last night and was asked about the pledge and had this to say in his exchange with Balling. I mean, I have a problem with the debate for another reason. I wouldn't sign the pledge. Why would I sign a pledge? There are people on there that I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have certain people as, you know, well, somebody that I'd endorse. Are you concerned about Fox setting Well, off? when you're at 75, 78, 80 percent, and other guys are at zero, one percent, two percent, three percent, you do say, uh, what's the upside? There'll be somebody like uh, Asa Hutchinson, who's polling at zero, will ask me nasty questions. Uh, somebody like Chris Christie is polling at 1%, and he's going to ask me nasty questions, and others, too. And then you have some that are very good. I mean, Tim Scott has been very nice, and uh, Ramishwamy has been very, very nice. I mean, these are you know very capable people, very good people. But uh, why would you do that when you're leading by so much? Ronald Reagan didn't do it. Nixon didn't do it. Many people didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Ramishwamy. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, he has a point, though, and his point is that his standing today in just raw math and numbers and credibility, okay, here, and hear me out on the credibility part for, in a second here, is very different now than it was eight years ago. He was the underdog in the race. So, uh, by the way, you know, later in this interview, he's going to announce whether he participates in the August 23 debate, the Fox News debate. If he's going to, he's going to say he's going to announce sometime next week whether he's going to do it or not. What's my take? Oh, um, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to be able to stay away. Look, I, I have no inside information. I don't know, but I think there is. I think I think that there is uh, certainly a, a 50-50 chance that he does the debate. And if he ends up doing it, it's simply because he's confident that he's going to be able to trounce these people. He'll be center stage. He'll do what he did back in 2015. He made everyone on that podium look small. There is no question, I do not believe for a minute, that, uh, unfortunately, right, that, that Ron DeSantis is going to is going to score points against Trump. 
Trump is a is a natural speaker, natural debater. Uh, he comes off uh, very strong. His body language is 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 uh, commanding. And the you know and so DeSantis, by the way, because he's the runner up, this is very important. Usually they place the people on the podium based on their polling. So Chris Christie, you know, they're going to have to put in extra supports there at the end of the stage because he's going to be all the way to you know one of the extreme ends. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna well but that's not the point the point is DeSantis is gonna be standing right next to Trump DeSantis is a little little guy he's a poly pocket compared to Trump and you know Trump's taller than him he's bigger than him and, and but in a more commanding way and he's just gonna look more powerful plain and simple debates are not just verbal, they are absolutely driven by, by visual effects and, and the confidence that the uh, participants display. And so I think, you know, you're going to have a, 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 you're going to have a, a stage there. I, I, I do think that a guy like Tim Scott is auditioning at this point for a vice presidential role. And so he's not going to go after DeSantis. He's not going to go after Trump, certainly not going to go after Trump. And so what you're going to have is you're going to have you're, you're going to have Chris Christie look like a petulant man baby throwing pot shots at Trump and you're going to have you, you know you, and and then you're going to have a DeSantis looking weakened. DeSantis has to be hoping that Trump does not participate. It would be absolutely in his in his best interest. And, and, and by the way, back to the debate. The debate apparently is going to happen between DeSantis and, uh, and, and Newsom. And that is a debate to watch, although I'm not going to hold my breath. Again, I hope that – I do hope that it happens. I think that a vigorous and open debate between two governors, one who understands how to properly run a state that people want to move to and the other that is losing people left and right, uh, is good for the country. I don't think Gavin Newsom is a is a brilliant public speaker. I think he's glib. I think he gets off on on being a good-looking guy with a big smile and extra white teeth, but I don't think that he's he's particularly brilliant and adept at speaking. I think that that in terms of his intellect, uh DeSantis can run circles around him, but again, I, I that's not always what what wins the day, right? So this is a, this is interesting. I again, 50-50, I give a chance for for Trump to participate simply because it's an opportunity to deliver a knockout blow and he needs the he needs the visibility. And uh, you know, people are going to tune in to watch him. And right now he needs he absolutely needs airtime. And he's not getting as much airtime as he did 8 years ago simply because a lot of the networks are are over him. So he's 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 going to do this. And a lot of people are going to tune. I, I, so the more I think about it, I, I give it better than even odds uh, that Trump participates in this. Now, the other bit of news out of D.C., we'll get to it here in a second. We come back from the break. I guess who the House Oversight Republicans want to bring in to talk to the committee. I'm going to tell you this when we come back because, uh, it's, 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 folks, it's just getting started. And the more that the mainstream media ignores this story and doesn't want to talk about it, the more it develops and it percolates and it's starting to gain 
some some real steam. So I'll, I'll tell you about this when we come back. Sam Rajovsky here. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism. Brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. <laughs> I'm posting this to Twitter right now. Uh, forgive me here. Um, <laughs> Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You know, I always mention that my firm here sponsors this program. Uh, I thank my partner profusely for allowing me to be myself and be open and honest about my opinions uh, for a couple hours a day on the radio here. And so uh, as part of that here on the What's Right Show, I'm just posting on my uh, my, my personal Instagram, uh, excuse me, uh, Twitter, at What's Right Sam. Uh, this thing that I saw, I, I was in traffic this morning, coming in uh, to the office. I'm, I'm coming down Flamingo, and there is a car in front of me, and the license plate frame on the on the car, okay, is it says driver reads Braille. So <laughs> Braille, yes, you know, like, you know, blind people, you know, writing for blind for the blind. Um, <laughs> Well, I am sure that there are some people who are able to drive cars and also can read Braille. Uh, there's probably maybe 10 of them in the world. Um, yeah, so the, the joke, of course, is that this explains the driving here in Las Vegas. You can be the best possible driver on the planet. You still may get hit. You still may get into a crash. Some idiot out there uh, I'm not saying this person obviously good spirited natured about this and no doubt making a little joke here. But trust me, there are some people out there that might as well be legally blind based on how they're driving. And I see it day in and day out. Now, the thing to remember, and I say this over and over again, you know, we uh, as conservatives tend to be the kind of people that are trusting of our institutions. We tend to be the kind of people that, that want to put our uh, faith in in companies doing the right thing, and it, it just doesn't happen. Remember, the same wokeness that you see at Disney, that you see at, you know, at Anheuser-Busch, is happening at these insurance companies. They are doing their, doing their DEI training and losing focus of what their core business is about, which is protecting their insured when their insureds cause an accident. And what does that mean for you? Well, it means that when you go to that insurance company, say, "Hey, this is what happened. You know, your guy hit me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to pick a fight here. Here's here are my medical bills. Here's damage to my car." And and, and you say, "Please help me out." They promise you uh, the world and then deliver nothing. It is usually, I would say, ninety percent of the time that we get a call right in that particular moment. Somebody says, "I tried to do everything. You know, I called." Whatever, it doesn't matter the name of the insurance company. They all do this. I called them. I talked to them. I talked to the adjuster for, for three weeks, and I, they kept promising me that everything was going to be great, and then it wasn't. And uh, and then they call me, and of course, we get on the phone. We, we solve this, and, and not every case, by the way. People always ask this. Well, it doesn't mean I have to go to court. No, you need a lawyer to, to make it easier for you to get this your claim done, settled, and over with as quickly and as efficiently as possible so that you get what's fair. It's not a lottery win, but you need to get what's fair. You need to get what's right. 
And that's why you call Sam and Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234. My partner Ash and I uh, know what we're doing. We've done this for years and have a tremendous team of people that, that surround us. Uh, and, and, and those of you who have been clients over the years know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a family here and we're standing by ready to help. Sam and Ash Injury Law, salmonashlaw.com, 702-820-1234. Now, who is going to need an injury lawyer? Uh, I think uh, maybe more than an injury lawyer, perhaps a very sophisticated and well-established criminal lawyer, defense attorney, are the Bidens. The House Oversight Committee has now declared that they intend to subpoena the Biden family members. Today on Fox with uh, Fox News with Maria Bartiromo, uh, House Oversight Chair James Comer came out and said, look, we're going to we need to get the Bidens in front of the committee. We're going to ask them some questions under oath. Yeah, This is always going to end with the Bidens coming in front of the committee. Uh, we are going to subpoena the family. I mean, we're putting the case together to win in court. Obviously, with all the opposition and obstruction we're getting from the Biden attorneys now, uh, we know that this is going to end up in court when we subpoena the Biden. So we're putting together a case. And I think we've done that very well. We've shown the bank records. If I had subpoenaed Joe and Hunter Biden the first day I became chairman of the committee, it would have been tied up in court and the judge would have eventually thrown it out because at that time the narrative was, well, they never took any money while he was vice president. He never had any communication with his business associates. And, uh, you know, the, the, the money never came from China. We've had to go every step of the way and prove the media narrative was wrong and the vice president and the, and the current president lied. We have caught Joe Biden in so many lies, I can't even count the number of lies now. Yeah, and by the way, you know, the Republicans are going to have an uphill fight here. Because the court that would grant them the subpoena, uh, or, or and where the Bidens no doubt, well, they're, they're going to issue the subpoena. The, the, it's going to get fought and challenged in court. Ultimately, perhaps could get shot down in court. Because remember, this is D.C. But they're they have uh, more than just cause here for having questions uh, uh, thrown to these Biden folks uh, under oath. And that is why, by the way, that's why they didn't come in with the subpoenas first. They're building their case, not just right for their uh, for the for the you know case itself, but also for their probable cause affidavit to get these get further discovery here. So Comer continues with his wish for the media. I wish the media would ask the president, mm -hmm. what exactly did your family do to receive this right. twenty one million dollars that the House Oversight Committee has has proven? He just continues to say, well, that's a lie. That's not true. We have their bank records, Maria. Hey. Bank records don't lie. Yeah, bank records don't lie. By the way, I don't think they've gotten to the to the whole through the whole mess of it yet because it's pretty convoluted, but it's all traceable. Funds are traceable. So when will these subpoenas come? Hmm. Well, we want to talk to about three or four more associates first. Uh, we've been communicating with a couple of them. Uh, we're trying to bring them in just like we did Devin Archer for a transcribed interview. Uh, if they don't come in voluntarily, then they'll be subpoenaed. So uh, this is taking a, a lot longer. But if you look at uh, how the special counsel, Durham or other special counsels uh, conducted investigations, I think our committee is going a whole lot faster than any other congressional committee in history and any other special counsel. Yeah. This is a complicated case, and we're being obstructed 
every step of the way by the Department of Justice, by the FBI, by the Secret Service, by the IRS, and by the Biden family attorneys. Wow. But that's not stopping us. We continue to produce evidence about every two weeks. Yeah, this is the part of it that's amazing. The Republicans are doing all this on the Hill single-handedly. They're not, they don't, they don't, they're not getting any assistance. In fact, they're getting resistance from the FBI. Remember, the FBI is hiding informants, hiding documents. Ditto the Justice, Justice Department. Ditto the Secret Service. In fact, the Secret Service, we know now, is running interference for the Bidens. And by the way, you know this is all getting to, you know it's getting to Biden. It's getting under his skin because he keeps snapping at reporters. Anytime they dare ask a real question, I'll give you an example of that when we come back. And now even some Democrats are turning on him. Woo! Don't want to miss this. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Welcome, friends. Yes, yes, I'm here. Don't worry. I'm um, just settling in here from a brief break. Time out away from the microphone. Sam Rajofsky, your host of the What's Right Show, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, indeed, on a long, tortured path of making myself well from years in socialist captivity. <laughs> by the way, by the way, <laughs> I saw this in the Orange County Register, in Orange County of Southern California, right, south of L.A., the city of Laguna Beach, no doubt many of you have, have visited this beautiful enclave in SoCal. They've just passed some new uh, laws related to dogs. Now, if you're like me, you love dogs, okay? And that's the reason that you and I love dogs is because we're normal, healthy people, okay? We're not sociopaths. We love dogs. Okay, so do we love all dogs, though? This is me squinting. Can you see me? Can you see me? Picture me squinting through the radio here at you. Do we love all dogs? Well, I'll tell you, any dog that wants to, for example, harm my dog is not, you know, not, not good. Um, I'm not going not gonna to stand for that. So, um, all right, so where am I with this? They've passed an ordinance that limits excessive dog barking and prohibits dogs from being walked by moving vehicle. Good Lord, I had to look this up. What the hell are they talking about? Well, I guess people are walking their, their dogs on using electric bikes. Did you know this? And some of them are even using golf carts and, and cars. Now, I, <laughs> I have dachshunds. Their legs are... What is, I don't know, four inches, if that. They have tiny little legs. The idea of walking my, my, my dog from a moving vehicle would, would, uh, is not even something I can contemplate. But I do know people who have big dogs that need to, you know, can run for miles, literally, and what are you supposed to do? So, um, so apparently they, they don't want any of this because it's a public nuisance. Fascinating. Now, dogs that bark for more than 30 minutes is a problem. Now you can get cited for that. 
Uh, I, I don't know how to necessarily measure that, except you're going to have to have the cop stand outside the uh, the house and, you know, time it. Go, okay, that was 31 minutes. Citation. And what is what is 30 minutes of consist, uh, consecutive barking? What, how do you define that? I don't know. All right. It says, if someone rides, back to the bike thing, rides a bike or an e-bike at a high rate of speed walking the dog, maybe the dog can't keep up. <laughs> I think that people that walk their dogs, I, don't, I, don't, I think the people that walk their dogs from their bike are doing it because they can't keep up with the dog, not the other way around. Unbelievable. All right. Well, this Laguna Beach, by the way, is run by socialists. So, I mean, they're always coming up with new rules. But there was a story out of New York. Speaking of dogs, I have it here in my, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, here it goes. There's a bookstore owner on the Upper East Side, a fashionable part of Manhattan, who has like six or seven German shepherds. And this uh, bookstore is called, um, let's see, what is it called? I, don't, I, don't, I didn't recognize the name, although I'm not a, I'm not a fluent New Yorker. Uh, it's called, oh, it's a French bookstore, a French bookstore for children's books. Go figure, only in New York. La Libraire des Enfants, the Library of the Children. It's on the Upper East Side. And the owner of it has a bunch of dogs, and this one of the dogs is so aggressive that it's in fact killed a small dog and put another dog uh, in, uh, um, you know, it caused injuries that required extensive medical care. So th this, uh, you know, the New Yorkers are up in arms, and then the people with the dogs, and you know, are, are mad that you know that, that, that they're being asked to wonder. Oh, they want to put us out of business. No, we just want your dogs to stop eating other people's dogs. And this is the this is the um, this is, I guess, my greater point on dog ownership. Most people that own dogs are lovely, but then again, most people, I think, it, even the crazies out there, there's something inherently good in folks, but there are sociopaths walking among us. There are people with deep, you know, psychological flaws. And by the way, those are then manifest and I would say exaggerated when they have a dog that then they think that that dog can't do anything wrong, right? That dog is, is, is blameless. Now I, many years ago had, uh, I lost a dog to a attacked by a German shepherd uh, and uh, uh, the people that this dog belonged to, the attacker belonged to, it's dear friends of ours. It was one of the most difficult things uh, to have happen. It happened in front of our kids and uh, just a heartbreaking event. Those of you who listened to this program back when I was on in LA, remember that I had to take several days off from, from being on air. I just could not do the show. I was so devastated by this. And and I and I then when I finally went on, I I you know I delivered an open, uh, you know, talking about what had happened, and it was a very moving uh, program uh, for all those that listened. I got a lot of response from that, but that's what I do here. I mean, if whatever happens in my life, I I share it with you. We you know we have a relationship, and I I value that. So you know I I read these stories. It kind of brings all this back, but you know ultimately. You know, I, I, I'm not against, like some people, I'm not flat out against any dog in any restaurant at any time. For me, it's very much, it's, it's just one example. For me, it's very much 
Tell me about the dog owner. Does the dog owner have the dog trained? Is the dog respectful? Is it a small dog or a big dog? Is it a loud dog? Is it a, you know, some dogs in restaurants are sitting under the table. I don't even know they're there. I've traveled. I've been in very high-end restaurants all across Europe that, that people come in with little terriers and whatnot, and the little dog goes right under the table, not even on a leash, and just sits there like a statue. That, 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 you know, French or German, Austrian dog is better behaved than any American child that would walk into that restaurant. I can rest assured that is a fact. So, you know, I'm, I'm very much case by case on this, but it all, it almost always comes down to the owner. And so this person here who is, uh, you know, who is, who has a aggressive German shepherd and isn't doing anything about it. Is a, is, a, is a dick, right? I mean, this is really rude and terrible. But the person, by the way, that the city that comes along and goes, well, you can't walk your dog on a bike and anything. We're going to do all these restrictions. This is the knee-jerk left-wing reaction to, to trying to come up with a one-size-fits-all, right? One-size-fits-all to solving problems, which I, of course, don't like. Now, I promised you, I was going to say, uh, Biden, speaking of, speaking of people that have dogs that bite, you know, the Bidens have German shepherds. They keep chomping on Secret Service agents. And the Bidens, of course, are precisely the kind of dog owners I, det- I detest. Oh, it's not our dog's fault. We have privilege. We have rights. You know, oh, we could, it's fine, you know. So anyway, Biden uh, went attack dog yesterday <laughs> when he was asked, when he was asked about his family's business dealings. Again, Fox News, Peter Ducey, one of the very few White House poll reporters that actually gives Biden real questions, asked Joe about the Devin Archer testimony and also about the interviews that he's given. But the testimony, those were things that he said under oath. And this is what it sounded like. There's this testimony now where one of your son's former business associates is claiming that you... We're on speakerphone a lot with them, talking business. Is that what? I've never talked business in anybody. And I, I know you'd have a lousy question. Well, what do you, it's, why is that a lousy question? Because it's not true. You know, it's, it's got to be frustrating when you're Joe and to once in a while actually have to ask, answer a question about any, about any of this, right? It's got to stink. You can see why he only wants to sit down with the uh, with the uh, Weather Channel info babe and then then you know pet her chest, ostensibly removing bugs from her shirt. Um, you, you know this 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 it's a legitimate question. Now, by the way, Ducey could have asked. I kind of think it's a lousy question. Could have been a lot more hard hitting. Mr. President, why have you repeatedly lied to the American public about not being involved in your son's business dealings? See, I'm a lawyer, so I ask more direct questions. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right? Why have you? Oh, here's another one, right? Mr. President, how much money did you directly receive from your son's businesses? Mr. President, how did you pay for a multi million dollar lifestyle? on a vice presidential salary? These are all good questions, right? And they're far more direct. So I almost, in a way, 
kind of agree that masking might, you know. There's testimony now where one of your son's former business associates claiming you were on speakerphone a lot with them talking, but you didn't even get to the question, right? So anyway, we come back. Elizabeth Warren was asked about this as well by Jake Tapper on CNN. Had an interesting response, the beginnings perhaps of a schism on this. Who knows? Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840. KXNT, you're listening to The What's Right Show. I'll be back in a moment. Well, all right. The Biden scandals starting to make their way into the mainstream media uh, dialogue, albeit perhaps in a way that is slightly softer than I would like to see. Jake Tapper asked Elizabeth Warren last night on his show in, on CNN um, if, she's, if she's comfortable with influence peddling in D.C. Uh, who are they talking about? Uh, let's see. This was her answer. I do wonder on, on, on a broader oh, level, the 30,000. Sorry, this is the question. I do wonder on, on, on a broader level, the 30,000 uh, foot view of this. People close to Donald, I mean, people close to Joe Biden or people close to Donald Trump, but I'm talking about Joe Biden, making tens of millions of dollars because of their closeness to him. That can't be something that you like. That can't be something that you're comfortable with. And this is the response. Why is Look, I always worry about the influence peddlers in Washington, regardless of party affiliation. I understand that it is hard for Republicans and Democrats and independents to say, we've got to have a set of ethics that apply to everyone. And that means we've got to be willing to say to our friends and people who are not our friends, the same rules apply across the board. I agree, and I think when people see Hunter Biden being paid thousands of dollars from Kazakhstan or Ukraine's energy companies, they understandably get skeptical uh, about how this town operates. Um, yeah, we are all very skeptical about how this town operates, okay, Jake? Uh, we, <laughs> we have no illusions that the town of Washington, D.C. operates in some sort of above-board fashion. We, we, we know this. But here's, uh, here's, here's the problem. They still refuse to tackle this, that there is somehow a connection between millions of dollars going to Hunter, which then gets dispersed to various Biden family members, including the then-Vice President, now-President himself. They're still running interference on this. So this is, um, and this stuff was all known. For, it's been known for four years. Remember when Trump accused Hunter of getting three and a half million bucks from the Moscow mayor's wife? This was the first Trump-Biden debate, September of 2020. Chris Wallace was moderating this. Here was the exchange. Why is it, just out of curiosity, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son three and a half million dollars. What did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista to of deserve one hundred eighty-three thousand dollars? None of that is true. Not an answer. Not none of that is true. Oh, really? Totally he didn't get three and a half million. Mr. President, it's totally, Mr. President, please totally discredited. Totally discredited. And by the way, well, wait, he didn't get three and a half million dollars, Joe. Mr. Vice, he got three and a half million dollars. That is not true. I mean, Biden's a. Manifestly a liar. This has now all been proven, right? Biden is not uh, 
well, certainly not deny, never denied that he didn't have conversations routinely with his son. We know now from from the laptop, and we knew back then, by the way, because the laptop was released, well, a month later in October. We knew what the contents were. We knew all the emails and text messages between Biden and his son. So Joe knew all of this, knew all of it well before this debate ever took place, lied and lied and lied. Now, I'm not saying that Trump doesn't lie as well, but this is this is this is big stuff. And this particular exchange of cash where the Moscow's wife gives Hunter three point five million and then something very important happens. If you'll recall, the event that happens is that she is taken off the exclusion list, right? The restriction list by the by the Obama administration. So it gets the money and and she gets something of tangible value from from it for it. So if listen, if if I as 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 vice president am and doing favors for people that are paying my son, uh, it's very reasonable for us to ask questions. And it's beyond just influence peddling, as Elizabeth Warren and Jake Tapper put it. It's far beyond that. This is now you're talking about, you're really talking about pay to play. You're talking about bribery, okay? This is scandalous, okay? And this $3.5 million uh, payment from uh, Batterina was, you know, you know, fact checkers, you know, gave this a false or unproven. Even now you look it up. The CNN, USA Today fact checkers say it's untrue. It's been proven. It's on the record. Okay? Moscow Mayor Elena Baturina transferred, and, and she transferred this money to Rosemont Seneca Thornton. It's documented. Okay? She's a widow of a Russian oligarch. Then she ends up, you know, getting, getting protection from the, from the U.S. government. Her assets aren't frozen. It's a big deal. All this money has been traced. These are bank records, right? This isn't witness testimony. These are people that tell lies. These are bank records. People have gone to jail in this country for decades for doing far less than what these disgusting people have done. And the longer that the news media continues to cover for them, the more damage they will do to their own reputations. Mark my words about this. Because I'm going to tell you, this is, you're, you're watching a train wreck happen in slow motion. This isn't about Biden anymore. Biden's a dead man walking. Again, I'm not ref- referring at all to his, to his health. I'm, I mean this politically, right? He's mortally wounded by this. This will all come out. This is not going to get any better for him. The financial records are what they are, and it will it'll slowly but surely seep into American consciousness. The problem really is that the longer that the establishment, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the, you know, the media, the more that these people cover for this and play interference, the more damage they do to their own reputations, their own standing, their own credit rating with ordinary Americans. 
And it's going to be a lot like the fire mess in in in, in Hawaii and California. They're going to say, "Well, this is this is." They're going to explain it away. They're going to explain the American public turning on the FBI as radical right wing extremism, the same way they blame fires on climate change. They're not going to realize that it's something that they created themselves, that they did to themselves, that these wounds were slowly methodically self-inflicted over many, many years that the FBI pursued and the Justice Department and the news media and the establishment pursued its own agenda, its own self-motivated agenda in in pursuit of self-preservation at the expense of truth, at the expense of justice, at the expense of the Constitution, at the expense of everything that we Americans cherish. And the trolls from the sidelines, you know, the supporters of this, the the people who once upon a time cared about civil liberties but now because they don't like Trump are willing to throw it all out the window. Those people, those people come and go. Those people are those are candles in the wind. They'll go wherever, you know, they'll go wherever they the you know, whatever the wind the direction's you know, blowing is that they're 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 irrelevant. But the damage done to these institutions is, is, is monumental, and you're watching it happen. You're watching history being made. Insane. All right, it's time for me to go. I know, this we never have enough time. Never. Don't worry, folks. Tomorrow's Friday. I'll be here in studio, live, local, doing my thing. Love being with you always. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show.